0: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I think I know most of you in here, um, but for those who do not know me, my name is Josh Hart. I'm one of the elders here at Del Rey and we are going to continue in our study of foundations, and this morning, actually for the next two weeks, we're going to talk about sanctification. Um, as we mentioned already, it's freezing in this room, and so I think that's going to be a great setting for us to learn this topic. Uh, before we jump right in, though, I am going to pray, and then we will we'll get started. Father, we do thank you uh, for the opportunity to be gathered together as one body this morning, and we pray that as we open your Word and and study it and see what it has to say to us about this topic of sanctification, Lord, we pray that you would um, you would help us to grow up into maturity. That we would um, glean from your Word that which we need, and Father, we pray that you would help us to grow in our love for you as we behold your glory, and as we behold these. Sweet doctrines from your word, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, yeah, if you have a, an outline uh, there, that will be good to follow along. Just so uh, we kind of orient everybody, there is going to be two weeks of uh, studying sanctification. So um, there are two aspects that we're going to cover. Uh, you should see, at the, I think, at the top of your outline, um, we're going to cover the aspect of sanctification, of being set apart. So being set apart. Um, yeah, so, welcome. It's, right. it's okay, hey, I'll let you know the heat is not working in it's here. Right. It is cold, so if you choose to stay, that's great. If not, you will not hurt anyone's feelings, um, but that is, is kind of where we're at. Um, right. yep. leave, but there you go, all right, and there's some outlines. Actually, I have one or two here, if you, if you wanna grab one of these, or not, okay. Um, yeah, so just, uh, just talking, we're going to be talking about sanctification. So over the last few weeks, um, we've been working through various aspects of what you could probably call as our salvation timeline. So it's our, our life as Christians. So the various doctrines that we've learned about, regeneration, justification, all of those things, kind of look, if you were to put them on a timeline uh, for your, the, your Christian life, they would kind of look a little bit like this. Um, so first, each of us is born into sin. Right, we know that's true. We're born into sin. Nobody had to teach us how to do that. Uh, it just kind of came naturally to us. I love to, to talk to people about, you know, a two-year-old who steals toys from another kid. You know, who taught him how to do that? Nobody. It just came naturally to him, right? And so, for a portion of our lives before we came to Christ, we were essentially we were enslaved to sin. Uh, Romans six talks about that a lot. We're actually going to spend a lot of time in Romans six today. Um, And then, if we are in Christ, there came a moment when God, through the work of the Holy Spirit, removed our heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. We were regenerated, okay? So we were given this capacity to exercise faith in God um, through Christ. He made us aware of our sin and, uh, you know, our separation from Him. He made us aware of our need for Jesus uh, to save us from our sin, and Scripture tells us, this faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We read that in Romans 10, 17. And so we come to faith through the hearing and responding to the gospel. And then as we respond to the gospel in faith, in that moment, we are converted. But then several things occur at the same exact time in that moment. So first, by placing our faith in Christ, we are justified. Okay, so I think we talked about that a few weeks back. Justification. We're given this legal declaration of a right standing before God on account of Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. So by Jesus coming, living the perfect life that we could not live, and dying on the cross on our behalf, and by our placing our faith in, in, in Him, uh, we are we are justified. We're clothed in His righteousness. That's a, a one-time event that uh, happens in the life of the believer, and it's irreversible. Scripture tells us that. Um, none can snatch any out of, out, of, out of Christ's hand. That's not all. Um, so at that same time, we experience another amazing act of God. We are sanctified. In that moment, we are set apart and we are made holy. Um, we're going to talk about that a lot today. And then we also begin the process of sanctification. And so sanctification has got these two different aspects to it. In one sense, we are set apart from a life of sin to God for his service, and then we begin the process of sanctification wherein we are progressively made more like Jesus. And we'll talk about that a little bit next week. Right, and so in that process, we, we grow in wisdom and knowledge of the Lord through the reading and studying of scripture, through sitting under right preaching of God's word. Um, and we, we grow through fellowship and community with other believers as we help one another home to heaven. And so this journey begins at the moment of conversion and it will continue until we are with christ in heaven so i hope that this kind of this this, this simplified timeline there's a lot that happens in that timeline you know we were sinners regenerated we become christians we trust christ in faith we are converted We're justified we begin that process of sanctification and then that'll continue all the way until we stand with christ in glory and we are glorified in that time um, it's a beautiful picture, um, but what I want to talk about today is that aspect of sanctification of being set apart from sin and to God. And so on your on your outlines, uh, you should see there's a, there's a main idea, and if anybody doesn't have an outline and would like one, I have a few up here. Anybody good? Okay. Um, and there's also some over here on the side. All uh, right, so the main idea, and we're going to cover this this week and next week, so um, it'll be the same one for both weeks. It says, sanctification is the process whereby believers are A, being set apart from sin and to God and B, they're being progressively and substantially made holy in the inward man. Right, so that's what we're going to cover this week and next week. Um, so we'll just, we'll start here on your outlines. you see uh, Roman numeral number one where we're going to define sanctification. So our statement of faith, uh, if you remember, uh, I think we've all at least read it once, Um Uh, But our Statement of Faith says this about sanctification. It says, We believe that sanctification refers to God's work of setting apart a believer for his use. Progressive sanctification is the ongoing process of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. It begins in regeneration and is carried on in the hearts and lives of believers by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit until they see Christ While this growth in holiness is a gift of grace, it also requires a believer to actively, intentionally, and persistently fight sin through means such as prayer, reading and hearing God's word, and the mutual edification of Christian community. So according to the statement of faith, sanctification is kind of like a a coin with two sides, right? Um, Neither exists apart from the other, but in order for it to be a complete thing, you need both. Um, So sanctification can be defined in in two different ways. And so there's two different aspects uh, of the definition. I think they're listed under your uh, outline as points A and B. So we have the positional and possessional definition of sanctification. Again, that's what we're going to focus most of our time on today. Um, And then we have the progressive aspect. Now, both of these are true in the life of the believer. So as we understand how we are sanctified, both of these happen in in our lives Um, and they're they're important for us to understand both of them uh, to get a complete understanding of sanctification so let's look at this positional and possessional definition Uh, so first uh, so this term positional or possessional has to do with our relationship to God so in other words who are we to God right remember earlier about our our life and, and coming to Christ you know, there was a, a period of time that we were, we were alienated from God, that we were separated from Him uh, by our sin. Okay. However, through Christ's atonement for our sin on the cross and our trust and faith being placed in Him, our relationship to God has fundamentally changed. We're not the same any longer, and nor do we relate to God in the same way. Colossians 1, 13-14 uh, tells us this, uh, Paul speaking here, He says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so as we understand um, who we are uh, as Christians, we have been transferred from one domain or one kingdom into another. First Corinthians 6.11 explains it another way. Uh, Paul says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And so Paul's words in Colossians and 1 Corinthians, they agree, our sanctification or being set apart has already been accomplished. So in one sense, it's done, it's complete, right? It's listed in the past tense. Uh, again, 1 Corinthians six eleven: you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. These things are are complete. So Christians have experienced transformation as well. So we've moved from one place to, to another. The Christians no longer what they once were, no longer identified by a life of sin, but rather uh, we we're something entirely different. Um, and so there, there are certainly two components uh, to sanctification, as we, as we mentioned. Um, but the one thing that, that I want us to see here about this positional or possessional definition is that the Christian is at that moment when they are converted, they are taken out of an old life, marked by sin, and dedicated to service to God. And that's an, that's an important aspect of that to remember. So um, when we are saved, God does not just kind of collect us into this collection of things that's set up on a, on a shelf for him to just sit back and admire. Well, no, we are saved for a purpose. We're we saved to, to serve him. Any questions on that, on that definition or any, any comments on that?
1: Yeah. Sorry if I missed it. No, no. We are
0: in God's possession now. We, we are, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm realizing now that you asked that question that I missed something in my notes. Um, 1 Peter 2 9 through 10. Can we have somebody actually turn and read that for us? That'd be great. First one there, just go for it. But you are a chosen race. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, so as we read, you know, Peter's Peter's statement there that we are a... Uh, a chosen a, a possession a chosen possession we are, we are a people who have been gathered together to God we belong to him once we were not a people but now we are God's people and so in essence when we are when we are sanctified when we're set apart and made holy not only are we set apart from sin and to God for his service but we become a, a, his possession his possession and we're going to talk a little bit more about that here in a little bit um, Peter draws on uh, Exodus chapter 19 for that um, and we'll talk about that too but that um, that's how we understand being it it being possessional that's a good question though all right next there's the progressive definition Uh, again we're going to spend quite a bit of time next week talking about progressive sanctification Um, often that is the uh, the aspect that most people think about when you think about sanctification like being made made holy over time Um, You might also call this aspect the substantial aspect, not simply because it's larger or more significant, but it has to do with the substance. Um, That's what's being changed, the the inward man. Um, J.I. Packer, in his book, Concise Theology, calls this process of sanctification, moral renovation. Um, How many of you like to watch uh, HGTV, like renovation shows? Anybody? Love, love to watch that. Hometown, I like to watch Hometown. Anybody like Hometown? That's good stuff, right? So, if you would imagine your your self, your soul, as like a house um, that is in disrepair, um, and but when you when you come to Christ, it's almost as if if a uh, a crew God sends a crew to to renovate you inside. And so over time, like obviously, oh, okay, hometown's a thirty minute show or one hour show, so you see a renovation in an hour. But we know that our sanctification does not take place in an hour. In order to take place in an instant, it takes a lifetime. Okay. Um, how many of us wish it would take place like in an instant, amen, right? That would be great. Um, but it doesn't. And uh, yeah, so just this, this image of moral renovation, God um, sending his Holy Spirit to live in you, to guide us, to work and to will for his good pleasure and to change you from one degree of glory to another. That is the, the progressive uh, definition. Um, and it has to do with the problem of sin, Right, so at conversion, a believer is justified and enjoys right standing before God on account of Christ's shed blood on the cross. Again, we don't enjoy right standing because we've done anything right. Um, we, we, need, we need Jesus. Um, there's nothing the believer can do to separate themselves from God. Uh, but fighting sin doesn't ever just become a thing of the past. That is something that we as believers are going to struggle with from the moment we come to Christ until the moment that we stand with him in glory. That fight is never going to die. We're going to have to continue to fight. Um, the waging war against sin is just part of the Christian life. Uh, Romans 7 is a great example of that very battle. Uh, so Paul writes to the church uh, in Rome with very honest words about how he knows what he ought to do, but often finds himself doing those things which are contrary to God's word, or, or maybe not often, but he does find himself in that position. And so I uh, just want to encourage you all, if, if that's something that you find yourselves in, you're in that situation where you feel like you have to continually fight sin, you are in good company. Okay. This is something that, that we are going to have to do um, for all our lives. Now, fighting sin can often feel like an uphill battle. Um, like no matter what, you just don't have the energy or the strength to do it. Like you can't conquer sin on your own. Well, the reality is, is we're meant to feel that. That's, that's, that's intended. Okay, on our own, we don't have the strength to fight sin. We can't just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and just beat sin down. We can't do that. But praise God, He's not left us to fight sin on our own. Um, if someone could turn to Philippians 2, 12 through 13 and read that for us, I think we will find that to be a very encouraging, encouraging passage.
1: My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure.
0: Amen. The thing I love about that passage is, is if I think about it this way, if Paul stopped right after saying, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, if he just like put a period there kind of left it, that would feel, feel very challenging, very difficult, right? It would feel like everything's on us. But praise God, that's not how he wrote that. and That's not the truth that he's trying to communicate. He says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Right? So, is it our responsibility to, to take part in our sanctification? Yes, absolutely it is. Uh, do we do it alone? No, no, we don't. Um, the Lord uh, has sent his Holy Spirit to live in us, for it is he who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Um, yeah, and as the Holy Spirit works within us, we know that we are being transformed over time from one degree of glory to another. 2 Corinthians 3.18 um, gives us this great promise. He says, and, and, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, From one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And so our holiness will grow as we grow in Christ likeness, being perfected in glory when we are with Christ in heaven. So we will slowly but surely be transformed throughout life. Um, That, that, uh, like if you were to chart that process on a graph, it's not going to look like a straight line going up, okay? There's going to be some peaks, going to be some valleys. We're going to hit some snags. We're going to have some, um, some, oper- like some, some periods of great growth. But the trend line is, is in the right direction. And that should be an encouragement to us. Any questions on that definition? Questions, comments? Yes, sir.
1: So, I feel like I've seen the, the word sanctification used in the Bible refer specifically to progressive sanctification. Mm-hmm. I can't quite remember where. Yeah. But the, what I was going to ask, kind of related to that, is... The like the Greek word for sanctification in the New Testament, like can you comment on like what that means or what it meant to the original readers, apart from just the like kinda way we yeah. understand it, having the whole Bible mm-hmm. like in our laps. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah. We, we can define it like this, like with, with these two definitions sure. right here. Yeah. But, like what what would like the, the original author have like known as
0: readers would think of that's a really good question yeah, so I'm going to admit to you, I am no Greek scholar. Okay, so Me neither. <laughs> yeah, that's good. But uh, we have someone who's close to that sitting in the room. I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch this one to Ben. Do you Do you have any thoughts on that? I saw you carry a Greek book around once. So
1: <laughs> thank you so much for that, Josh. Amen. Amen.
0: Um, it's closely tied to the word for holy, hagios or hagiosmos is the word for sanctification. So um, Just like he's been saying, it conveys a lot of these ideas, purification, setting apart, Mm -hmm. devoted to God, uh, holiness. It's going to be sort of all of that in the background of the ministry of the priesthood, Mm -hmm. um, that there's a cleansing for sin and Mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Amen. Yeah. And we're going to talk a little bit about that here in just a second. Um, But yeah, so... You know, as we, as we consider how, how the translators have, have given us our English scriptures, right? So we see that word sanctification. We understand that word to mean something, and they're trying to communicate that to us in a language that we understand. Um, but there are a number of ways that that, that looks in, in the life of the believer. Um, and so just to, to kind of piggyback on what Ben said about the, um, the, the, the priesthood, let's, let's kind of let's keep moving. Um, So, Roman numeral number two, how are we sanctified? So, one of the things I want to talk about is where did this idea of being set apart come from, right? So, you know, what what does it mean to be set apart by God? What are we set apart from? And then equally important, what are we set apart for? Um, Is sanctification, this idea, a New Testament-only idea? Um, Well, it's... I would say, no, it's not. This idea of a people being gathered up from among the nations and made holy to the Lord uh, and His purposes is actually a pretty old idea. In one sense, we can go all the way back to creation, wherein God created mankind in His likeness to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. So there's God creating a people for Himself, right? There's this idea of setting them apart and and setting His love on them. And then more akin to our definition of sanctification, we see uh, in the calling of Abram. Right. So Abram was a uh, was a man who lived among the nations, and God called him out of Ur. He and his family would go to a land that, that God would show them, um, and so He called them and chose to, um, yeah, show His love and 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 use Abram and his family to be a blessing to the nations. Uh, Promised him that he would, his offspring would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Um, later on, we see that in the promise to Jacob that they would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. I don't know if you've been to the beach lately. Um, if you try to count. Well, not lately, right? <laughs> if, you've been, if you've been to the beach any time in the last year. Uh, certainly not today as it's like 20 degrees outside. Um, and just as a quick aside, um, I, I, often, I often, you know, when I, when I get to that passage in Scripture and I think as numerous as the sand on the seashore, um, my chemistry teacher in high school, uh, he said, you know, I would love to see somebody try to find the average mass of a grain of sand. Uh, I think it would be a really interesting example or, or science experiment. So I decided that's the one I was gonna do because I'm super not creative and I thought it'd be helpful to take a hint. Um, and so what I did is I went and gathered all these different kinds of sand and just the, the exercise of trying to separate out, separate out individual grains of sand and count them out. Is it cold blowing on you? yeah Paul. so while, while so while, while we're teaching today y'all be praying that the heat would actually kick on uh if you're in here and you're cold i'm so sorry um <laughs> this is why i'm wearing a coat we've i think we've already texted jesse and i don't there's nothing else we can do anyway um grains of sand right so the lord promised to make his his people as numerous as the grains of sand uh, on the seashore which that's a lot by the way um and so he called him, set his love on him. But then we read in, in Exodus 19, uh, verses 5 and 6. I'll read this for us. Um, this is God speaking, speaking to Moses. He says, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasure possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And so, just as we as we read that in First Peter, so we've got the promise in Exodus nineteen, and then we've got Peter saying that promise is fulfilled, and he applies that to the church that we, the church, are a people, his treasured possession. We are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And um, one of the things, so we ask, like, how is that made possible? Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not laughing. I'm laughing with you. I'm laughing with you. It is. That's where the breeze is. Hopefully it warms up. Um, So we are made into this people through the blood of Christ. Um, Exodus chapter 29 and 30 talks about the process by which Aaron and his sons were consecrated to the priesthood to serve as priests and how they were sanctified, how they were set apart, how they were made holy. And one of the things that, that, that had to be done is there was a ram that was sacrificed and the blood... Was sprinkled on the altar and then that blood was also sprinkled on Aaron and his sons that they were covered by the blood of another that had you know they had to lay hands on this ram and sacrifice so it took their sin uh, is symbolic of them taking the ram taking their sin and they were covered in that blood and in the same way we are covered by the blood of Christ okay and that's how we enter into uh, being God's people Um, so How are we sanctified? Let's talk a little bit more about that. So if everybody, if you have a Bible, turn to to Romans chapter 6. We're going to camp out here uh, for quite a bit. Might look at some other passages, but primarily we're going to be in Romans chapter 6. So how are we sanctified? How are we set apart? The short answer to this question is this. We are set apart from sin and to God through union with Christ. Right, so, set apart from sin and to God through union with Christ. Right, in the opening lines of Romans 6, Paul makes it clear that it's unconscionable for a believer to continue in a lifestyle of sin. Why? Because it's just not who they are any longer. That's not who you are. If you are in Christ this morning, that's not who you are. That's not how you're identified. So, he begins the section by asking and then answering a rhetorical question. Um, verses one and two. Somebody read uh, Romans six, verses one and two, for us.
1: What shall we? am sorry. No, ahead. Uh, what, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we? How can we who died to sin still
0: live in it? Amen. All right. So if God's grace is inexhaustible, why not sin all the more that we could just experience so much more grace? right? That's the question that Paul's trying to answer. Um, and how, how does he answer that? He says, is that? Is that something we should engage in? He says, by no means, right? There's a big exclamation point on there. I don't know if it's in the Greek. I'd have to check with Ben. But, um, but the way it's translated here, Paul is emphatic. He says, no, that is not how we should continue. Um, so the problem with that question is the life of sin is no longer the pattern for the Christian. How do we know that? Well, because Paul says so. He says, by no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Anybody ever seen old mobster movies? Anything? I, if you've seen The Godfather, I'm not going to judge, right? But like there's a, it's often like a line where somebody looks at them, somebody in the family says, you're dead to me, right? Okay. You know, when somebody says you're dead, that's how we are. So we're dead to sin. We're not even there. Like there no longer has a grip on us. So we are dead to sin. And if that's true of us, how can we continue to live in a lifestyle of sin? Well, we can't because that's not who we are. Any questions on that aspect, being dead to sin? Then we're going to jump into uh, the first point there. Okay. All right, so how are we? So one of the things I want us to look at is if you look at letter A on your outline first thing is that we are freed from sin's enslavement. We are freed from sin's enslavement. So when Paul says that we're dead to sin, it means that means that sin no longer has dominion over us. Uh, and if this is the case, then Christians cannot continue to live in sin as though they were unbelievers. Right? To illustrate the point, Paul then points to the picture of baptism, showing how the believer is baptized into Christ's death with him, signifying a death to sin and then raised with Christ to a new kind of life. So I'm going to read verses 3 through 5 for us.
1: Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Hmm. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall
0: certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so, you know, the, the, the burial, uh, the Christian's burial with Christ took place in order that uh, they might be raised with Christ to walk in the newness of life. And so that life of sin has been put to death. It's the sim- symbol of, of the old way of life being put to death in this new life through resurrection. Um, in that picture of baptism. And how is this accomplished? Well it's accomplished through union with Christ. The first sentence there and verse 3 do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ? Right? There's this picture of union with Christ. And so because the believer has been united with Christ, the believer shares a death to sin and has the gift of a new life. And so see the pattern here of, of once belonging to one thing and now belonging to another. An old thing being the life of sin, new being new life in Christ. And so, this this death to sin and resurrection to new life uh, being set apart is made possible only through our union with Christ. Any questions, comments on that? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Thinking of our being dead to sin through our union with Christ, Christ didn't died to sin in the same way that we're talking about having died to sin. He didn't die into sin, like it was, is it right to think of it, he died to sin in a conquering way. Disarming it, uh, losing its power, and when Mm -hmm. we are in him, Mm -hmm. we receive that conquest. And that's how. So it it just, he died to sin, we died to sin, it feels like it wasn't the same action I'm trying to. Yeah, so... so when we, when we look at the picture of baptism, so we know that baptism does not cleanse us of sin, right? And we know that when Jesus died on the cross, uh, that he did not die for any sin that he committed. Jesus was perfect, he had no sin. But on the cross, he took on himself our sin. He paid our sin debt, right? He paid the penalty for that, shed his blood on the cross, died and rose victorious, conquering death. And so this picture of baptism, is is a picture of identifying with him. So, like him, we are we are we're being put to death. Like right? there's there's um, there is that old life, that old us, that old life of sin that, that's been that, you know that marked our lives up to the point where we came to Christ, um, and then being raised with him to walk in a new kind of life. And so in in essence, in the life of the believer, there is a death. Right, death happens, um, but. What that death is, is the death to sin and a life of sin. And now we have this new kind of life. So, yeah, absolutely. Jesus did not die to sin, right? He, he, he didn't have sin, right? He took our sin on himself. And this, this picture of baptism that Paul is drawing on is this, um, this symbolic identification. So, we are identified with him. Like, these things are true, right? We are no longer enslaved to sin. We're no longer living in a lifestyle of sin, or we should not be living a lifestyle of sin. That does not mark the life of the believer. What marks the life of a believer is a, a new life, a life that um, that is marked by a desire to know God and to love Him and to love His people, um, a desire to hate sin and fight it. Um, that that is. Uh, that's something that, that we would not say is true before that. Like, we didn't desire to fight sin before that. Before that, we just desired to do whatever our simple hearts wanted. Um, and so, I think what Paul's trying to do here is paint that picture and help us to see, kind of give us a um, a visual for what our life looked like and what that transformation actually, actually looked like. I don't know if that helps answer the question. Helps. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Any other comments on that? Questions? Okay. I'm hopeful. You're hopeful. (laughs) (laughs) Work your magic, Tyler. Um, All right. Let's keep going. Uh, Point B, this should be on the back side of your outline. I think this is the first time in all of DRBC history where I have taught with a coat on. Um, <laughs> for those of you who are sticking around in the class, while it's freezing, I appreciate that. You guys are awesome. May it also be the last. May it also be the last, <laughs> amen. I mean, amen. Amen, amen. <laughs> uh, quick aside, I work in technology, and so I'm often, I'm often frustrated by that world where you, know, you expect things to work, and they just don't. <laughs> <laughs> And then people call people like me, and they're like, "Go make it work," and I, and I can't make it work. Um, well, let's keep going. How else are we are we uh, sanctified? Well, we experience the death of the old man. This should be point B, top of the back page of your outline. We experience the death of the old man. All right. So, building on this imagery in Romans six one through five, we see another way in which union with Christ affects or contributes to our sanctification. We see the death of the old man. Now, when I say that, I don't mean an an elderly gentleman. What I mean is the old us, our old selves, like that old self that we have is put to death. Um, Someone could read for us verses six and seven from Romans chapter six.
1: We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved
0: to sin. For one who has died Amen. All right, so you know, Paul continues this this picture of this imagery. Um, and rather than the image of baptism, he, he he draws on the image of the crucifixion. Okay. So this passage says that our old self was crucified with Christ. What do we know about crucifixion? Yes. Long, slow, painful death. Long, slow, painful death, yes, that is true. What else do we know? for criminals, okay, usually, unless you're Jesus, (laughs) yeah, but yes, absolutely, absolutely. How often do people survive crucifixions? (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm just saying, like, did anybody ever, like, ultimately survive? (laughs) They might survive for days, that's why it's a long, slow, painful process, yeah, man, yeah, yeah. So, this idea of... So, when Paul says that our old self was crucified with him, crucified with Christ, this idea of crucifixion, so you didn't just come down off the cross, okay? When, when you were executed in that way, it was, it was a for sure thing. It, you were going to die. It was guaranteed. Surviving a crucifixion was basically impossible. Um, and often, if it took too long, well, what the the soldiers who were carrying out this execution would do is they would come and they would do things to you to help that process along to ensure that you would you would pass okay and so this is the picture that that paul paints of our old self the old man and how it has been put to death nailed to the cross with christ himself um, if one is united to him uh, through faith it's final it's gone and so, if we understand crucifixion rightly, we understand that those who undergo crucifixion are assured of death. And it is both sure and final, and so also the death to our old way of life. It's gone. So, in this way, the believer is set apart from an old way of life. Now, it's important to note that just because the old man has been put to death, it doesn't mean that we aren't going to continue to fight uh, the temptation to sin. So we're not enslaved to sin. Yeah, that's true. But our flesh will from time to time raise its, its ugly head. Um, we'll be tempted to sin from the, the day that we're born till we stand before Christ in glory. Um, but in spite of this, we, we praise God that um, our right standing before him is not based on our ability to, uh, to be perfect. Um, but he has given us, he's given us his spirit to help us to, to fight to fight sin. Um, one, one other way that we, we see this uh, the death of the old man as in 2 Corinthians 5.17 uh, Paul writes therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old has passed away behold the new has come we're a new creation new we're not just dusted off polished up cleaned up a bit we are altogether new our old self has been crucified with Christ, and the one who believes is free from the bondage of sin. Any questions on that? Comments? Yes, sir.
1: Yeah, actually, I have a question about so 6 and 7. Mm-hmm. Whenever I read this one, I get confused as to whether the language is more like judicial or sort of like life versus death. Or, or I'll kind of show you what I mean. So sure. There is a footnote on the word set free, mm-hmm. in verse 7, that says it could mean justified. Mm-hmm. Like set, free, set free, one who has died has been justified from sin. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering if the, like, the our body of sin might be brought to nothing is like a legal evidence term. Like, mm. like judicially, God has justified us and our body of sin doesn't stand before him. Or can you comment on that? Like, sure. Like what are we doing there? Is this passage? Is this part about like we're free from sin because we're not enslaved to it because we're justified mm-hmm. and we're not guilty anymore? Therefore, we don't have to keep going back to it. Or is it like we are free yeah. from sin? Is this part specifically about the like old man is dead? Yeah, and like
0: we're not that same man. Yeah. Anymore? You know I
1: mean? Yeah. People? Yeah. For sure. I don't know.
0: Do yeah. So I think I think it's kind of a both and. Okay right um, so and the one says yes we are justified from our sin why are we justified we're not justified because we did anything to earn that right um, but we are, we are that penalty of sin is no longer held against us because someone else has paid it um, and so we're, we're justified we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and so when we stand before God on that, on that day um, with all of our sins laid bare we, all of them have been paid for and so there is, in one sense, that legal declaration that we have been justified from sin. But at the same time, um, we also have the capacity to not sin. Um, and so I'm going I'm to jump ahead real quick. Um, we're going to cover this here in a little bit. But uh, Romans chapter 3. Romans 3, for me, um, 3, 10 through 18, uh, or 9 through 18. Well, I'm not going to read all of it, but um, we'll read a good portion of it. This, to me, is like the... Paul's great leveling of the playing field. Okay, like everyone is on the same the same level ground, and so he says this Romans three nine, and then I'll read I'll read some of it after that. He says, "What then are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, None is righteous, no not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless." No one does good, not even one. So this understanding that apart from Christ, that is our that's our bent. No one does good, not even one. All have turned aside. So who does that encompass? It encompasses everybody, right? Everybody has turned aside. And so that's kind of that's where we are, apart from Christ. However, being freed from sin means that we have the capacity to not sin. So today, if you are faced with a choice, right, you you have the capacity to choose not to sin, not simply because it's advantageous to you. So um, I can choose to give money uh, to a charitable thing solely out of the fact that I know I'm going to get a tax break, right? Like, we can do that. But there's something different about me right now that I actually genuinely want to do that. I want to help others. Um, And so there's this capacity to love because God has called us to love and we want to please God. Like, that doesn't happen before. Paul, in Romans 3, says no one seeks God. Um, No one... yeah, so no one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. If you're just going to keep reading through here, verse 13, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. If you are in Christ that description does not describe you anymore. That's not who we are. All right, so when we are freed from sin, yes, we are 100% justified by, by the blood of Christ and by what He has done for us on the cross. But at the same time, we have this capacity now that we did not have. Um, R.C. Sproul, um, in his book, um, Chosen by God, describes it this way. He says, before the fall... Um, Before the Fall, mankind had the option to sin or not sin. After the Fall, apart from Christ, they had no option but to sin, right? In Christ, now we have that capacity to sin or not to sin. And then one day in glory, we will have no option to sin. Um, And so I think where, where we find ourselves in that timeline is in that place now that, you know, on this side of the cross, if we are in Christ, we have this capacity to not sin. Uh, we have this capacity and we could sin and we, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. But praise God, there is forgiveness for us. Does that help answer the question at all? Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. All right. So we experienced the death of the old man. The last point there, point C, we are made alive with Christ. So I'm going to read Romans 6, 8 through 10. It says, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin, uh, for the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. And so, as we, as we consider this, this idea that we've, we've, we have died to sin, the old man has been put to death. But, None of that happens independently. It's, it's, it's not like we're just you know you're free to kind of run and live your own life. But we've been we've been raised to the newness of life for a purpose that we might live our lives to God. Yeah. So yeah, God does not save us through through Christ simply that we might have life, but that it would be lived on purpose for Him. And so because we've We've been united with Christ. We can live confidently knowing that not only will we live with him during our time here on earth, um, but that we will live with him forever in eternity. And we only have a few minutes left. and so I, just, I want to make sure that we're able to get to some of these practical implications here. Um, and then we'll see if we can pause and see if anybody's got any questions. Um, there's a couple different ways that I want us to look at practical implications of being set apart from sin and to God. So the first thing is that sin has no dominion over us, right? We kind of talked about this a little bit. Um, And what we mean by dominion is that, you know, the the believer is under a new kind of law and not under the old. Romans 8 would say that, um, yeah, that we, Romans 8, there is therefore not no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And so we are under a new kind of law. We are no longer under the law of sin and death, but under the law of grace. Um, And sin no longer is the default bent, like we talked about that in in Romans chapter 3. That's kind of how we were before we came to Christ, but that is no longer true of us. We're no longer under bondage to sin, but rather we can, in earnest, please the Lord, and we desire to do so. Um, Galatians 5.13, I'm going to read this for us. Um, tells us this it says if you were called for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another and so like if we were to consider consider life under a Romans three reality apart from christ, this exhortation to um, yeah through love serve one another that 's not something that we would naturally desire to do, and so that exhortation would be very difficult to uh, to live up to, apart from Christ, but rather, in Christ, since we've been freed from sin, we can freely love and serve one another um, out of love, our love for them and our love for God. And the second point that I want to want to look at here is that we submit to the dominion of God over us. That's, that's the second practical implication. When I originally wrote these lessons, one of the things that I wrote down um, uh, to title this point was that God now has dominion over us. And I think that's just not true. God has dominion over us one way or the other. He always has, always will. The difference is that we now submit to the Lordship of Christ in our lives. He is Lord. Our trusting Him didn't somehow make Him Lord. Like, that's not something we can do. He is Lord. God, um, God the Father gave him a an everlasting dominion that will never pass away. We read that in Daniel chapter seven. Um, so yeah, so we are no longer slaves to sin, but we become slaves to righteousness. This is a, this is a um, this is an important aspect here uh, for us to uh, to understand. Um, can someone read Romans six fifteen through eighteen, and then who, who'd like to read that for us? Okay, and then someone read Romans six twenty two. Who could read that for
1: us? Okay, all right, go ahead. and having been set free from sin, have
0: become slaves of righteousness. Alright, pause real quick. I think it's just interesting to note just how different that description of, of a believer is from the description of all of mankind in Romans chapter 3. Right? Um, you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart. Like, that's the desire that we have that we did not have before. Um, Romans 6.22 But now that you from sin
1: and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's end, eternal life.
0: Amen. Amen. And so this idea of being under, under Christ's dominion um, is a good thing. Okay. And so um, how then should we live under this dominion? Since it's now possible to fight against sin, what should that look like in our own lives? All right. So first, we should have a practice of making war on sin. Sin does not control us anymore. Uh, but the pull is ever present. So we know that we know what we're tempted by and what ways we tend to stray. Um, so one of the one of the things that I try to do every morning before I even get out of bed, before my feet hit the ground, is to, is to just begin the day by pleading with the Lord to give me the strength to fight against temptation to, um, just to be mindful of the opportunities that he's given to me, that he would not only give me opportunities to speak to others about the gospel, but the courage to do so, to not fear man and flee from that. Um, that he would give me the capacity to love my family when they're difficult, and, and that he would help me to not be difficult for them to love. <laughs> um, I think it's important if you're gonna pray For God to give you the capacity and patience to love your family, you should pray that you should be the kind of person that they can love. Um, That's free. I won't charge for that. Um, But, yeah, so through prayer and petition, we should seek the Lord's help to make an end of sin, trusting him to provide the way of escape. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.13 is one of the first passages I I memorized as an adult, um, which tells us that no temptation has seized us except that which is common to man. But God is faithful. And that when you are tempted, he will provide a way of escape so that you may stand up under it. And often, I think we we recognize that there are means of escape from sin, um, and it just means we need to actually take it. Okay, pause, pray. Second, uh, we should seek to we should seek help from brothers and sisters in our church family to help us make war against our sin. Um, I served in the military for a number of years, so a lot of analogies that I have are all military analogies. Um, but no single soldier ever met the enemy army on the field of battle to make war. I can only think of one example, and that was David. But God had his back, so that was a bit of a different story. Um, there, there's no army of one Christians. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. We don't engage in the Christian life alone. We ought not engage in the Christian life alone. That is a sure way to find yourself in trouble. But rather, we should reach out to our brothers and sisters in Christ and ask them to help us to fight sin, to live a life of holiness, um, to help to bear our burdens. Um, And we should make a practice of confessing sin to one another, and in so doing, we should drag sin into the light. I cannot count, I can't count how many times I've been in conversations with people where they've been like, I just need to confess this to you, or I've had to confess some sin to somebody else. And as scary as that might feel, like, oh no, they're going to totally know what I've been up to. Like, there is nothing better than seeing that sin put to death by dragging it out into the light and enlisting other brothers and sisters into that fight to help you fight it. And then the third, be an encouragement to others. So, yes, reach out to one another and ask for that help, but be the person who's willing to enter into these difficult situations to help your brothers and sisters to fight sin. Be willing to reach out to somebody and see how you can pray for them. Ask them, how can you help them make war against sin? I think it's important that we use that word. We talk about fighting sin like that. Because fighting sin is not a a one-time battle. It's not a skirmish. It's not a, I'm going to see you at 3 p.m. after school in the parking lot. We're going to duke this out and it's done, right? That's not how it works. Like fighting sin is a war. It's a long campaign. And campaign after campaign. We make war against sin. It should be a practice um, that we... um, yeah, that we cultivate. How can you support others in their fight? Seek ways to pray for them, to walk alongside them as they also make war against their sin. All right, to conclude, um, let's look back again at at Romans chapter 8. Beautiful, beautiful picture of what we enjoy in Christ as being separated from an old life of sin. Again, Uh, There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We are 100% different. We are not the same. We have been set apart to a a beautiful life, a life of service to the Lord. Um, I mean, there is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ. So, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to pray. And then I'll hang out and see if anybody's got any questions. If anyone wants to talk about anything else, I'm happy to talk with you. Um, and I think the heat is kind of working. Hey, hey, amen. Right at right at the end, right now that my coffee's cold. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you that according to your your mercy and your grace, you have plucked us out of a life of sin, and that you have placed us into the kingdom of your beloved Son. And Father, we pray that as we contemplate this reality, that it would encourage us anew to fight sin, to love your word, uh, and to help one another to do likewise. Lord, we pray that as we prepare to go and to hear your word preached, um, that you would give us receptive hearts to hear and receive your word. Lord, help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only, so deceiving ourselves. Lord, help us to live our lives to you um, as we were meant to. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.